0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Lifeline. And 51551 is our text number, joe at rt.ie. Stephen Wilde. Stephen, good afternoon. Hiya, Joe. How's it going? Good. What, 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 first of all, where did it happen? Yeah, it uh, happened in the woods just outside Gory there called Kylanirin Woods. Okay, well-known walking spot. Beautiful. That's a lovely Absolutely spot, yeah. Beautiful. Okay. You were there with your little dog. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, on the, on the first weekend there of November last year, yeah. I was out at half seven on a Saturday morning with my family pet, Clyde, up to the, with these woods where we go regularly. So we were walking along quite contently when I saw these um, two big Alsatians and two big husky-type dogs bounding towards me. Yeah. And I was afraid of my life. So my little Jack Russell got scared as well, and he took off on them. And the dogs chased after him down through the woods. There was no sign of the owner mm-hmm. of the, these uncontrolled dogs. So I could hear the dogs uh, barking and fighting with my little fella when I saw the owner of the dogs walk towards me. And I said, there you are, Alsatians and stuff. He said, yeah. I said, why haven't got them on the lead? Mm-hmm. And he said, ah, sure, I don't expect to see anybody in the woods on a Saturday morning. And I said, well, they're going to kill my fella. And he said, no, they won't. So I took off running down through the woods after trying to find my dog. And when I came to the little river that runs through Kylanir Woods, I could see my little dog covered in mud standing uh, in bits. So the Alsatians just ran out from where they were after him and took off up back up through the woods towards the owner. Mm-hmm. So I had to pick him up, Joe, and look at him, and he was in bits. So I picked him up, ran back towards my car, which is about a mile and a half away, and I waited at the car with my dog in the boot to see would the owner of the dogs appear. Yeah. So he did appear, Joe, a few minutes later with his four dogs on a lead, I showed him my little slide who was in the booth on death's door. And I just showed him, he said, oh, take the dog to the vet. That's all. So I went to the vet. The vet said, not looking good for him. So then I had to go home to tell my missus and children that the, the, our lovely, beloved family, eight, eight and a half year old slide, was likely to die. And like, that was terrible. I was like a death in the house, Joe. Okay, I know how close people can be to their pets. Sure, yeah. And how good pets can be in a in a in a home. Um, so, like the, this image of the two huskies and two Alsatians bounding out of the woods. Yeah. How, were they bounding towards you or towards your your no, Jack Russell? My jo- Jack Russell was right beside me at my heel, and they came around the bend and straight towards me. I got yeah. to fly my life, so I had to stand stand back in because I go up there regularly, Joe, and like I could have the grandkids with me. Yeah, and course. these dogs were actually in a in a pack, so I could have grabbed the child had he been there. But um, that's the way it worked out. So he died the next morning, yeah. uh, and I went up to the local guard station. Okay, where I made a statement. The guards carried out the investigation, and what happened then was. He was up in court and the case was finalised last Wednesday. Okay, well this is interesting. He, what was what was he charged with? He was charged with, I think, four counts of not having dogs under proper control. Okay. And then the two Alsatians weren't muzzled. Now the 
they have to supposedly muzzled and under control at all times. So he pleaded guilty in the district court in, in Gorey last week mm-hmm. where he was given the benefit of the, of the Probation Act. Uh, his solicitor then addressed the court and told the judge that he was wanting to offer as part of compensation €500 Euro to me for the dog. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, that doesn't um, pay for anything and doesn't even ease the pain and the loss to, to my family and my, myself. No one should have to go through that, Joe. It's a horrendous thing to see. And was there, you know? was there any contrition? Did the man say, I'm sorry, my dog's killed your dog? No, his, uh, his solicitor apologised to the court. Oh, okay. Okay. So and, they, and they offered 500 quid and he got the probation act yes so there's no there's no there's no record if you get the probation act you don't have a record as such of having well that was dogs, it Joe now, dogs now the owner this, Joe the owner of the dogs anyway decided in his wisdom that he was going to put down one of the dogs oh did he okay I don't know how he how he decided which one but there was four there he selected one and told the judge that I put down one and that was accepted but my poor old, old Clyde is gone. And did he say what criteria he used to put down the, the, the one of the four dogs? No, he just said he put it down. He put down the dog. But sure, he wasn't at the scene. He wasn't He wasn't near the scene of where yeah. my dog was okay. killed. S- stay with us. Martin is on the line. Martin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Uh, but this is your own dog you're talking about. That's correct. And what happened? I was out walking there. This happened a couple of years ago. I was yeah. out walking, and uh, unfortunately, um, I got involved with a another dog who who got out and um, headed towards my German Shepherd. And there was a, obviously the German Shepherd uh, locked on immediately. Mm-hmm. I tried to save the uh, save the dog by pulling the jowls of the Shepherd apart and. Uh, Wow. She came. She came down on top of me and chopped off tops and tops of two of my fingers. This your own dog? Yeah. Okay. So. So, so I was lucky. I was fortunate enough that my fingers were saved, but I had to go under the uh, knife and uh, the following morning and have them reattached. Yeah. Um. So the point I'm the point I was, I was listening to the commentary yesterday with, with uh, Katie. And mm-hmm. the point I wanted to make is the following, that uh, you c- under no circumstances uh, can you trust any dog, any type of breed, etc., etc. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think the authorities police it sufficiently enough. Um, it's happening on a regular basis. They were talking about dog wardens yesterday. Have I ever seen a dog warden? No. Um the situation I'm in at the moment now is because because the German Shepherd is on the uh, the restricted yeah. dogs list. I won't uh, I won't walk her anymore because she won't take a muzzle. Okay. Even though I've tried to put a muzzle on her, and um, you do not want to be getting too busy with a German Shepherd if she doesn't want to do what she wants to do. Okay. So I now I wouldn't take a chance of going out with the dog at any time of the night or day. Because I know full well that I'll be confronted by stray dogs who will want to engage with the shepherd. And there's only one outcome. And the other point I'd like to make is I would not suggest anybody tries to 
interfere with a, a, a dog of that sort of size if they're involved in another dog. In other words, trying to yeah. save, trying to save either animals because there's only one outcome, and I know, I know what the outcome is. Because um, you're um, caught up in the you're caught uh, up in the moment, Joe, and all you can do is you're like in a, in a state of panic uh, because you're caught up in the moment and you're looking at what's going on in front of you, and you're doing your level best to try and extricate everybody from the situation. And unfortunately, I came unstuck. Well, Mark, Martin, it. Martin, after your own dog, yes, took off the tops of your two fingers, yes, and you were obviously had surgery, thankfully, and all. Yes. Were you not tempted to put your dog to sleep? No, because the dog... No, I wasn't, Joe, because... Okay. Uh, first and foremost, I, it was my fault that the dog... Uh, I tried on you. I was conscious of the fact that the dog needed to be muzzled when she was out and about. But I'd been walking the dog for the best part of, I'd say, seven or eight years uh, around the same location. And although I always was in control of the dog, um, I couldn't control what other dogs were coming towards me. Okay. And if they got anywhere close, um, there was only one outcome. Um, so I'm not prepared to take that risk anymore for my own safety, for the dog's safety, and for the other dog's safety. And and so, the the owner of was the owner of the other dog around? Yes. And what did he or she say? The door was. What happened was the door was open. The door was open. The dog came out, and uh, I was I was conscious. I I knew exactly where I'd run into problems because I knew by the way the dog was behaving that she sensed there may be issues. And uh, fortunately, the dog got out and made straight for my dog. And uh, before the dog realized what, she, what he or she was involved in, the shepherd had locked on and that was it. Okay. But why, Mark, bear with me on this. Why would you want to own a dog that could kill another dog? Why would that's I want big to enough. Dog? That's big enough and strong enough to kill another dog and take your fingers off. Uh, I'll tell you the reason. Um, I think I think the German Shepherd is a is a fantastic uh, breed of animal. Yeah. I think they they need uh, they need uh, police training. Yeah. They need muzzling. They need to be uh, respected as they are capable of doing that type of damage. Um, what you like with other people. Good as gold. Would I trust her with other people? No. Am I conscious of of her when she's around other people? Of course I am. But um, and what's what's the joy you get out of having a German I think, Shepherd? I think there. Well, I was fortunate enough to look after a German Shepherd in the past, and I found the actual German Shepherd to be uh, just a very compliant, very okay. compliant dog. Um, unfortunately. They're, it's in their DNA that they can they can they can flip at the flick of a switch, and like any other dog, not just a shepherd. I was coming through, I was coming down Grafton Street the other night at whatever time it was, kind of late at night, and I was met with a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, terrier running loose with the the, the, the client or the, the owners oblivious to them. And I said, I'm telling you now, for if that dog engages with any either a human or another dog you're going to be in trouble because the dog should be muzzled. Yeah. And they just thought I had two heads on me. Yeah. They just walked on. So uh, I loved, would I, would I have another German Shepherd? Uh, would I have another German Shepherd? I would, but it would be on a totally different, it would be trained properly. It would be muzzled okay. properly. 
It would not be. I would not. And have you still have you still got the German Shepherd who bit your fingers yes. off? Yes. What's his or her name? Heidi. 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 Hi. Yeah. Um, but I think <laughs> Joe. I think at the end of the day, uh, dogs get a bad rap. I don't think nine times out of ten it's the owner of the problem, not necessarily the breed okay. of dogs. Okay. Okay. I, I take that. Cormac, just say say with us, man. Cormac, good afternoon. You were you are you're a retired dog warden. Yes, I was in the dog warden services for a long time. And yeah. what's the most dangerous dog you've ever come across? The most dangerous dog I've ever come across is the owner, quite frankly. Okay. Um, look, all, all dogs have the potential to be dangerous. Yeah, of course. They're, 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 they're an animal that absolutely works on the fight or flight. They get yeah. frightened, then they can run away, they'll run away. If they can't run away, <clears throat> they will attack. Have you ever and been attacked? Uh, no, I have, well, I've been attacked, but I've never had any, um, adverse outcome. But that may be because, you know, dog wardens generally are pretty well trained. Yeah. And um, I just, if I may say, Joe, I mean, look, this is, I, I, I'm retired now, so I really don't have any dog in this fight, pardon the pun. Yeah. But, um, you know, I hear people say, I'm saying, where the hell are the dog wardens, right? People have to realize that most counties in this country have one single dog warden. Now, that yeah. word dog, dog warden deals with restricted breeders we've been speaking about, licensing, stray dogs, um, nuisance of dogs. Um, yeah. He's got to go and pick up a dog if it's straying somewhere, sheep kills. And then you've got to travel back to his kennels, wherever it is, put them into kennels, provide them with food, spend some time there to make sure if you're sharing kennels that two dogs are going to get on together and he doesn't put your dog in with a dog that might attack it. It uh, doesn't leave an awful lot of time for one guy or one woman get around the county. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's, 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 you know, so really, where, where, where the huge problem with dogs, and yes, Ireland has a problem with dogs. Nothing like it was. When I joined the service, my God, you know, stray dogs were falling out of the sky. Not quite so bad now. Okay. Um, but the reality of it is this, right? There's a responsibility on every person who tries to get a dog or who has a dog to know what they're getting, to know what the rules are. I mean, you wouldn't get into a car and say, well, I didn't think I had to have a driver's license judge. You know, and people would still look at you ten heads as that gentleman before me was saying, you know, um, restricted breeds need to be muzzled. They need to be on a chain or a lead that doesn't exceed two metres in length. They may not be in the company of anybody under the age of 16. Um, and what, and was, what powers do you have as a dog warden, Com? Well, the, 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 the powers of a dog warden is that they can seize any dog that's found straying in a public place. Okay. They can enter any property other than the dwelling. Um where they believe a an owner has five or more dogs over the age of 16 weeks. They can ant- enter any property. In other words, they can enter the garden, but they can't go into the house. No, no, you can't go into the house okay. without a, a um, search warrant, obviously, right? But they have the power to enter. But, you know, um, equally... And then, uh, just, just in Martin's, just to come back to Martin's situation, where his German shepherd, Heidi, uh, starts savaging this little dog, and the dog was in Heidi's mouth. And Martin tried to prise open Heidi's mouth to get the little dog out of the mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heidi took off two of Martin's fingers. I presume you would advise, as Martin would, as Martin did, I, I, there, you would advise people if they see, do, do never try and prise open a, a dog's mouth if he's engaged otherwise. No, absolutely. Look, I, I have attended actually, I can't say official, but organised dog fights between pit bull terriers and have been involved in, 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 in breaking up these fights. But we do it in a very controlled way. Well, you're, very, you're a very brave man. 
Not really. I mean, it, it gets well, many, uh, when you when you land up with one of these dog fights, how many many people are in attendance? It could be ten. It could be twenty. It could be thirty. And you walk in on your own? Oh, absolutely not. I walk. I would walk in with a, a posse of Gardaí. I mean, you know, okay. we're, 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 we're not that silly. No, no, we, we would have Garda back up. And very often the information would come to us from the Gardaí and the requests from the Gardaí would be, can we have a dog warden attend where we're doing yeah, that? And do the Gardaí, they do give you a hand? Oh, the Gardaí are excellent. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're, the one thing that they ensure is that that our safety over there in yeah. Paramount, they would say to you, like, stay in your vehicle until we tell you to come in. No, no, they're, they're, that, that's... Never been an issue, in fairness, to the county. Okay. Anne, um, Anne wants to give Martin advice. 51551 is the text number. Anne wants to give Martin advice on how to get a muzzle on a German Shepherd. Anne. Hi, how are you? Yeah, you're listening to Martin, and who had a pretty nasty episode with Heidi. Yeah, well, one thing, he should be able to muzzle his dog. It, it shouldn't be an issue that you can't muzzle your own dog. Um, he needs to go to somebody who trains dogs. Um, I grew up with German Shepherds. There were seven kids in the family with the German Shepherds. They were in the house. Never a problem. And I've had a few. Never, ever, ever an issue. But how do, you, not how, a, how do you muzzle the Germans? You walk up to them, you call Shepherds. them, and you put it on their face. They're not a naturally vicious. That is the problem. People think they are naturally savage okay. dogs. They aren't. People go around with the attitude, I have a German Shepherd, look at them. And they project that image onto the dog. The dog will pick up on something... You can't say to a dog, I'm terrified of whatever it is that's in front of me. But they do feel that you are afraid of something. If they get rid of that thing that has made you fear, well, then that's the problem. You also do not stick your hand in the middle of a dog fight. It's very sad if a dog grabs another dog. Don't do it. If somebody have a boxing fight, if two adults are fighting, and they're boxing their head off each other, if you put your face in the middle and go, excuse me, you're going to get belted. But how would you advise Martin to get the dog out of Heidi's mouth? Um, you can't. You can't? Okay. He should have had his dog under control and muzzle on it. It's the law. He knows the law, He's, as you said it. And he can't get a muzzle on his dog. He needs to get his dog trained by somebody, okay, Martin, not somebody Martin, okay. who goes and puts a prong collar on the dog, somebody who will pr- train the dog humanely. Not prong collars, not beating them, what's not the, starving sorry, them. What's a prong collar? Sorry. Oh, some people have these collars that are prongs, and if you pull them, they dig into the dog's neck, and they oh, think they're great. And they, yeah, it's just cruelty. You don't need those. You can train a dog with dog treats and kindness, and it's quite easy okay, to do. Mar- well, Martin, well, how, let's see how Martin. How are how are you reacting to this friendly advice from Anne? I appreciate I appreciate the comments. Um, I appreciate the comments, and she makes uh, they're all very valid points. Uh, to myself and another chap who's a, a, a German Shepherd owner tried unsuccessfully to uh, muzzle Heidi and we, we basically gave up. Um, secondly, I have brought Heidi to the vets and the vets struggled to put a muzzle on Heidi. So I think it's down to what the lady said. Uh, it's, all about, it's all about training. Uh, have I learned lessons? Of course I have. Okay. Well, is there another is there another uh, German Shepherd in you? If that and God forbid happened, Heidi. Yes. There is. But okay. I would I would okay. I would I would take that lady's advice and okay. uh, do it properly. And another point that was made by the dog kennel warden, right? A lot of people get involved in uh, dogs in situations that are basically they're not compatible. They're not compatible. Um, 
I'd, I'd, I'd have to factor that in. They look lovely, they look et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but at the end of the day, it's all about training, it's all about understanding the breed, it's all about understanding what you're getting into, it's all about understanding okay. what you, okay. And once you take a dog, once yeah. you take the dog outside the environment that uh, he or she lives in, they can flip in a, in a matter of seconds, depending on their situation and what they face with. And as far as the girl, uh, the, that lady saying about the dog oh, yeah. being out of control, I had the dog, I had the dog, when the dog kicked off, mm-hmm. Uh, when the dog kicked off, I had the dog. I I was I was in control. I thought I was in control of the dog mm-hmm. until until the other dog appeared on the scene, and then suddenly I was out of control of the dog. You got to remember the German Shepherd. I had the German Shepherd standing upright mm-hmm. with the with the, the the dog in 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 the Shepherd's mouth. Um, it was a very traumatic experience. I can tell you. Um, it is a like traumatic to thing to happen, but it's it in the first place you should be able to read your dog, and I'm not saying you're an idiot. You should be able to read your dog. I have standard poodles, right? Yes. And you're going, ah, they're naturally a hunting dog. That's what they're bred for to hunt, yeah. to retrieve, and mm-hmm. to get things. If you yeah. open them right, they've got teeth the same as a German Shepherd, and if yeah. they attacked a small dog, there'd be nothing left of it in seconds. Yes, right, and. Um, I've got maybe seven German Shepherds. Never one of them would go near anybody. Now, saying that, I wouldn't leave any dog along with small small children. I've had dogs, no, I've had Rottweilers, yeah, I've had Correct. Shepherds, Afghans, you name it. And have you Four ever words. been bitten? I have, yeah, by a Cocker Spaniel. I've got 18 stitches. And, and, you, and uh, what do you do with the Cocker Spaniel? I brought them back to the owner, and then I collected them at another stage and groomed them. Sorry, what's sorry? The dog got it. <laughs> I groomed the dog at the time. I was learning to groom dogs, and he. Um, th- the problem was, I picked the dog up. I wore a jacket, which was the wrong colour for the dog because the previous owner had died, and the dog was in the house for three days on his own with the person who had deceased. And the ambulance men came in, and white jackets took the body away and left the dog there. So every time he saw a white jacket, he lost it. So okay. when I put on my jacket, he attacked me. Okay. So well, there is usually there is normally signs for attacks. Now the the fun dogs that I wouldn't trust are cockapoos. Everybody has cockapoos, yeah. and they're wonderful. I know people have had sixty, seventy stitches in their face over cockapoos oh and had plastic God. surgery. They are quite vicious. Not all of them, but quite a lot of them. You you can can't I, trust. Can them I ask a question? Cockers, which are red red cocker syndrome, as well known, you know, but. Um, the shepherds, as a rule, if you know, they are very easily trained. Okay, quick you, question you from have to start early. Quick, quick question from Martin. Go ahead, Martin. To Anne. Yeah. Would you agree that the DNA, uh, the DNA of shepherds can be completely different? Male and female of all breeds are different. Males normally prefer female owners, male or females, male owners. Um, I don't think that they're more territorial or anything like that. People seem to think, you know, that they're more guarding because they're female. They're not. Um, okay. The last, uh, but, the last bitch that yeah, I had was the most easygoing dog, and unfortunately, would walk off on anybody. Well, that's um, that's my, that's my point. The reason why I was so interested in the shepherd was because I had experience of a very, a very, very uh, quiet, uh, quiet-tempered German shepherd who wouldn't say boo to a goose. Yes, so that but was, you that also was, have to look at where they came from. Look yes, at the generation. Actually, my dog, my, sure. actually, yeah. actually, quite not just my dog. Actually, the breeding of my dog. I went into the breeding of my dog. I went through all of that, researched it, 
because I wanted I wanted a particular type of colour of German Shepherd. I went through all of that, and I ended up uh, going with a Shepherd who's basically got who's won uh, prizes in crops. Yes. Well, Martin, you, Martin, just, Martin, Martin, just, <laughs> Martin, you mentioned you mentioned that your German Shepherd. You no longer bring the, uh, the, your dog for a walk yes. because she won't be muzzled. <laughs> yes. But, but keeping a dog like a German in, Shepherd confined in, in a back garden is surely cruel, isn't it? Which one? Yes. Sorry. Yes. Come in. Come in. Come in. Of course it is. Uh, no, he, that dog needs to get out and walk, and it'll be worse for not being walked. You should. You could try a horse on it. Or a gentle leader might help you. How do I how do I cope with the other dogs around who stray around the place? A halty will hold their mouth tight as well. Or a gentle leader. A gentle leader goes. Have you? Have you can I just have you actually seen a German Shepherd in full combat mode? Yes, I have. Oh, look. Well, I tell you what. I tell you. I, I, maybe I just got the. Maybe I've got the run to the litter. But I'm I'm sort of I'm six foot and I'm sort of I'm no sh- uh, shrinking violet, and well, I I'm had, five foot three. <laughs> I had serious. I had I had I could not, I could not uh, hang on to that dog. Um, yeah. Well. So so the question. Sorry, the logical question, Martin, is why are you hanging on to the dog? Because he didn't want to kill the other dog, obviously. No, but why? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm I'm speaking metaphorically. I'm not, why are you keeping the dog? Because, um, because, he loves it. <laughs> yes, got it in one. I'm totally loyal. The loyalty that the German sh- the, that the German Shepherd shows to me is okay. is quite incredible. And, is and it, so it, I, I, it, I took on I took on the dog. Th- things had been going okay. okay. Suddenly things went wrong. So the dog. It wasn't the dog's fault, by the way. I want you to make that point clear. It wasn't the dog's fault. It was my fault that she okay. wasn't muzzled. Uh, but uh, she didn't create the problem. The problem was created. Okay. Com- 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 just, just Cormac wants to come in for, for a sec. Cormac. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, what, what, I needed, what I wanted to say, what that gentleman was talking about there being Martin. six foot odd and not being able to control the dog, surely to goodness that has to be a lesson to every dog owner in the country. You know, that control, control is really the issue. If his yeah. dog is under proper effectual control, if he was obliged uh, of um, complying with the regulations, that incident would never have happened. None of these incidents would ever have happened. People kept their dogs in proper control. If you've got a garden and you've got a dog in it, you need to make sure that that garden is dog-proof, that he can't get out and another dog can't get in. But- that's Can I just reality. explain to the dog warden? Can I just explain yeah. something to the dog warden? The, this happened in nanoseconds. I, 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 nanoseconds. Okay, Mark, just Mark before the break. Mark, what happened to you? A car intervened. You were walking your Jack Russell. Hi, Joe. Yeah, yeah uh, the wife and myself, we own two small Jack Russells. Okay. You know, and, uh, and we walk the usual routes in our town yeah. daily. We give them good walks. But... Um, over a, over a year ago, a house on that route, um, they got um, a Rottweiler. And it was for their gardens, but it had access to the front garden as well. Now, Why the fence in, was... In. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, the yeah. fence was uh, small, and um, I was always concerned about the Rottweiler that could jump over it and get yeah, out. Yeah. But one day, like, when we were walking on the same route... Um, the, the Jack Russell I walk is always a little stubborn as the oak. She loves stopping and sniffing at her. So my wife was going 
ahead of me at this stage, mm-hmm. a few hundred yards down. But she was on the opposite side of this house, and uh, she was almost directly opposite. And um, there's a young lad that lives in that house, and he was across the road in the shop yeah. after leaving it, and was crossing the road back to go over to his own house. So just as uh, my wife was directly across, he opened up the gate, but he was wiggling in, but he couldn't control it. The dog just broke out between his legs, and he darted across the road. It, I was I was frozen. I was so far back, I couldn't do anything anyway. But when you get a shot like that, like, mm-hmm. it goes so quick, but time slows down for you in some ways. Yeah, you see it happen yeah. really slow. Yeah. But um, the dog just was down real low to the ground and like a rocket across the road. And I could see my wife. She knew what was going on at this stage. So she picked up her Jack Russell and she held it close to her chest. I yeah. know her well. She'd do anything to save that. It's like a, it's like a child to her. So I thought, this is it. This is, this is a life-changing event. But... Um, no, it was. It got across halfway across the roads. There was a second or two later. There was a big bang, and a car coming into the town hit the, the Rottweiler and sent it spinning back up in the path. God. And uh, yeah, the yelps of it. I can still hear the yelps of it. Like it was. It was just a absolutely horrible, painful yelp. It tried to get up, and it kept limping. The guy in the car stopped. He got out. The young lad got back out uh, of his garden and ran up to the dog, was trying to pick it up and bring it in. Then they had words, they were just talking, it, everything seemed okay with them. No, so but when the Rottweiler got the smack of the car, was the Rottweiler killed? No. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, Joe, the, the, the Rottweilers, but this one in particular was very big. Yeah, obviously. They can yeah. take a bang better than, like, my Jack Russell would have been killed if it was in front of that car, but... Yeah, you know, I don't know what damage got happened to the, the, the okay. Rottweiler. Okay, okay. What what damage happened to the car? But well, the man assessed it. It happened all very quickly. He assessed it really quickly, and, and he could have done. He could he could have caused trouble, saying, "Look, you've damaged my car." The damage wasn't done. He got into the car and went on. Okay, let's the take. T- I'll, t- I'll take a quick break. Stay with us. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 Brian Monaghan is in Galway. What type of dog attacked you, Brian? An American pit bull. Where? Barna Beach. And what happened? Well, I go for a swim every day in the sea, right? Yeah. And I have a double winter wetsuit on in my legs, okay. which is really thick. And I'm walking out backwards, just having a laugh. And all of a sudden, I feel this big chomp on my thigh. And I look down, and there's a pit bull, you know, hanging onto my leg. And it wasn't too strong at first. And, and I was like, what's, what, you know, uh, I'm trying to keep calm here on the phone, so, but I wasn't yeah. calm, you know. But you're, was, in, but you're in the water. I was in the water up, up to, uh, halfway up my thighs. And the dog flew in after you? Ran in, chomp, right onto my thigh. Jaws. You know? And I, I've been trained as a, as a beach guard before to keep calm in emergencies. So for a couple of seconds, I just thought he didn't get through the wetsuit, but it was sore on the muscle. And I'm thinking, hopefully that's it. He's just going to let go and, you know, but he didn't, you know. And so I turned around and there was the owners on the beach screaming, Fiacra, Fiacra, because that's the dog's name, mm-hmm. you know, 
oh, get out of the league. You know, oh, he's never done that before. Of course, yeah. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, right. So he let go, and I'm like, oh, thank God. Because like, I thought, this is it. Jesus, is this it? Is he going to take a big chomp out of my leg, you know? Because the teeth are like a big needle sharp things and then he goes down on my calf and that's when he got through the wetsuit a little bit with one of the teeth but it wasn't that bad then I started to get nervous you know uh, I'm not nervous now because you know uh, mm. I don't want to criticize but when people get nervous on, yeah. on, the, on the radio they freak everybody out and they, okay. they spread panic so I'm very calm today okay. mm. uh, he let go of my calf and I thought what does this dog want that's the first thing I thought he wants something okay yeah the bites are getting a little stronger. He's a pit bull. They're not coming into the water, which I would have done. If it was my dog, I would have walked straight in. You know, forget yeah. wetting your jeans. So then I turned around, and he went straight for my crotch, okay? Oh, and I blocked him. Yeah. And I was like, no way, Jose. <laughs> so I blocked him, and uh, I thought, maybe he just wants a stone or something, you know? So I bent down to try and pick up a stone. And, you know, he did actually stop, okay? Yeah. He stopped, so I couldn't find a flipping stone. I was like, God, why couldn't there be a stone here? And uh, then he went back up to my thigh again. I thought, what is this dog's problem, you know? I don't know what. I can't read the mind of a dog. You know, you can guess what he's thinking. You know, maybe this guy wants to play or whatever. Uh, So she says, oh, it's the wetsuit. It's the wetsuit that's freaking him out, you know? And I thought, is this going to stop at some stage? You know, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to, because I was trained by a friend who was attacked by a dog before, and he said, you have to kick it between the legs as hard as you can. And stick your fingers in its eyes, and, and it will stop. It, it will stop if you poke them hard enough, right in the eyes. But I didn't want to do that, so, because I had protection by the wetsuit. It yeah, wasn't, wasn't that bad yet, you know? Um, but then four times, then it went up towards my kidneys, and I thought, okay, I'm going ah, to prepare how, how did it finish up, Brian? Well, I was just about to elbow it in the face. I, I said, I guess, pardon my French. I turned him around, I grabbed him around the neck as hard as I could, I as much skin as I could around the neck and the belt, and I, 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 I held him up against my leg, and I walked him in, uh, hoping to God he wouldn't bite again, which he didn't, and I gave it to, over to the owners. <sighs> And that's when the adrenaline hit and I started to get angry. And shock, I presume. Some shock. I was shocked afterwards. I didn't know I was in yeah. shock until I got home. And that's when well, I What flipped. did the owner say? Oh, he never did that before. I can't believe this. You know, I'm really sorry about that. And I screamed at one of them, what's your name? And he gave me his name, but he wasn't the owner. He was the owner's boyfriend. I didn't have the presence of mind. Okay. Did you get any stitches or anything, Brian? Did you? I got a scrape on my... Top thigh. See, this is this wetsuit is winter. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, double thick winter wetsuit on the legs, about about more than half an inch thick. Okay. Okay. So you reckon that saved you from serious? Absolutely saved me from him thinking I can't get through this thing, you know. And my leg is big, like so he's you know he's struggling, and I was just like trying to calm him down. Yeah. But if it was a kid or a teenager with a thin wetsuit, he would have gone right through it, and he would have pierced okay. it, and it would, you know. Uh, but you're okay now, thankfully. I'm, I'm okay, but I'm always worried. That's yeah, the yeah. problem. It doesn't have to be course, big, yeah. scarring problems. You still, you still swimming every day? I swim every day now, oh, but cool. I bring a shovel handle with me. A what? A shovel handle. But how can you swim with a shovel handle? Oh, I just leave it on the beach. Oh, sorry. Leave problem. it on the beach. Oh, I've swam with a shovel handle a couple of times. The first few times. <laughs> well, you have it in your was, mouth like a dog, Brian. <laughs> I was looking at a couple of dolphins there, you know. Oh, okay. But no, I, I bring a shovel handle oh, and the okay. owners are walking around with the Rockweilers and they haven't got any leads on. And they're all, oh, I'm a god, look at me, I'm a big dog and I haven't got a 
huge dogs. Like the big, they're big, they're, they're, they're ginormous dogs. They're massive, yeah. yeah, they're massive. Brian, where's Brian Conway? Brian in Kildare. Thanks, that's Brian Mann in Galway. Brian in. How are you, Joe? Brian in Kildare. How are you, Joe? Good, good yeah. Um, I was telling your um, one of your your producer there. Um, yeah, it was Easter Sunday, and I was out for a few pints with my dad. Went home for dinner for Easter Sunday dinner, and after having a few points I suppose I was a bit relaxed and I threw out a bit of a bit of uh, turkey t- to my dog mm-hmm. but my mum was there and she had her Jack Russell with her okay. I had a dog my dog was a Doberman Pinscher okay. and they were out there having a nice time in the garden I threw out a bit of meat and that, then they started to fight and I intervened and I, I had a collar on the Doberman and I, I held the collar but um, the Jack Russell went around his back and jumped at him and made a snap at him, and my lad just just turned to, to bite the Jack Russell, but he bit my hand instead. <sighs> and uh, the top of my finger went floating up into the air, oh, and the blood sported out my hand like a, like an oil well, you know. So um, uh, just the, the Jack Russell, or my old man then, I had to let it go. Obviously, I let it go, but it ran, ran into the into bed because he knew he he knew he'd done wrong, but it wasn't his fault; it was my fault. You know, but yeah, but it was your sh- it was your finger and his mouth. It was my finger? Is my finger in his mouth? Yeah, but you know, he he def- defensively fought uh, bit towards the Jack Russell and got me instead. So that's what happened, and I lost the top of my finger first. And, and luckily and enough, I didn't lose all my fingers. And how's your dog? Oh well, this was this was in 1986, so okay, that's a long so. time ago. So. And was there any instance afterwards? No. No, no, he was. Like, okay. I mean, even though he was did a, you, a did, you get, did you get a Doberman again? No, no, I have a. We have a, a Staffy now. Oh, Staffy, okay, okay. That's Brian Conway, Brian Monahan, both. Thanks indeed, Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And back to uh, the BlackRock scandal. And um, again, a, a health warning. Serious new information has uh, come to Lloydline's attention about a man called uh, Edward Baylor. And Edward Baylor was formerly a Christian brother. And then he got he left the Christian brothers under, under a cloud. We've now discovered what that cloud was and who knew about it. And he went and, and got a job in as a teacher in Blackrock College, where he abused, uh, his name has come up again and again over the last 10 days, and he was eventually caught, believe it or not, in a hotel in North Dublin with a young child, with a boy, uh, we believe, from the school. He was caught in a Garda operation. Now, whether the receptionist in the hotel saw something untoward, and he was uh, charged in Dundrum Court, of all places. Um, he was charged in Dundrum Court and he was sentenced to, whether he served or not, we still cannot find out, he was sentenced to two years in prison. Now, we came across Baylor's name uh, when I was Googling, as people do, and I came across a book called Tell the Truth and Shame the Devil. And the book, the book uh, is, is, is the, the subhead is, For nearly 20 years, Alan Morris... Abused boys at my school. Decades later, his ex-pupils re, uh, reunited and brought him to justice. This is how we did it. The author was one of those students, David Nolan. But in the book, there are numerous references to Edward Baylor because he was on the rampage in the UK. Now, we now know that Edward Baylor was effectively thrown out of the Christian Brothers in uh, the early 1970s. 
And they, Christian brothers, have told us that when we asked them why did he leave the Christian brothers, they say allegations of abuse at Altrincham emerged in the early 1970s. Um, was his decision, we asked, to leave the brothers her, uh, his, uh, his own or was he removed? He was dispensed from his vows in 1972. Were the Christian brothers aware of abuse allegations um, against Baylor? Our record, the answer is, our records show allegations were brought to the attention of the brothers in 1972. These are the Christian brothers, they operate, Edmund Rice, they operate here and abroad. No information um, is available. After he left the Christian brothers, where did he go? We know where he went. He went to Black Rock. And the Christian brothers say, we've no record of where he went. He was a qualified teacher. And then we asked, did the Christian brothers give Baylor work references? Because the first thing you're asked in when you go to a teaching job is, can you tell us where you taught? And this fella, uh, he was um, he was born in Ireland, by the way. Um, St. Edward's in Liverpool, Stoke-on-Trent, Blackpool, Gibraltar, Bristol, Leadsom, Oral, uh, Liverpool, Edinburgh, St. Mary's in Crosby and Altrincham as a Christian brothers. What work references did the Christian brothers give Baylor on his departure from the order? Remember, he almost went straight into the Holy Ghost setup. No references were given. So this man, who was uh, thrown out of the Christian brothers because of allegations of abuse, without any references, uh, his vows were, whatever the phrase is, uh, removed. Um, he went straight into work in the, the Holy Ghost order, and we asked the Holy Ghost order, um, have they any records of how he got the job? And they said, well, he was a lay teacher when he came to, came to Black Rock, so therefore we've no records. And then we asked the school, have they any records? And they referred us back to the Holy Ghost order. Now, the man who brought the information uh, about Baylor to our, our attention uh, in England is a man called David Nolan who wrote that book and David's on the WhatsApp now so hopefully it will be a clear line. David, good afternoon and tell us what was your experience uh, with this paedophile Edward Baylor? Hi Joe, yeah. yeah. So um, as you say, the initially the investigation was into a guy called Alan Morris. And Alan Morris is is still serving a nine-year jail sentence for abusing boys at the school, including me. And um, as as you're probably finding out over the last week or so, Mm -hmm. when you you push a brick through this wall and and make a little opening, then it all floods out, as I'm sure you're finding out. So as part of that the police the the police investigating alan morris at st ambrose in altrincham they asked people to come forward if they had other experiences mm-hmm. at the school and that's how the baylor stuff came to light and uh, so he was a guy who was like he was pushed himself as the sports guy as the football mm-hmm. guy you know little fella comb over haircut yellow teeth smelt a whiskey. I know that doesn't cut it down much in terms of being a Christian brother, but um, that's that's how he came across. And his his trick was that he would have a, a line of lads up mm-hmm. um, in front of him ready for football, and he would say to them, one of them, I need to inspect your kit. Yeah. Your kit's not right. I need to inspect your kit. So he'd take him to one side, he would take him into the changing rooms at um, St. Ambrose, 
which was next to the house where the Christian brothers lived. Mm-hmm. He would he would pull out a mattress okay. that he had stashed stashed behind uh, a storage cupboard, mm-hmm. and he would abuse the boys uh, on the mattress. Could God forbid. Joe, that he would like hurt his knees or anything like that on the hard concrete floor whilst he was abusing a seven-year-old child. So, uh, and then the terrible thing, one of the lads told me that after he'd been abused by Baylor, he was then sent back out onto the football field and the teacher who was refereeing the game mm. um, would, would say to him, why are you late? And then he strapped him. He hit him. He, no, he strapped him yeah. with a leather strap yeah, yeah, for yeah. being late. And of course, the reason why he was late because he was being sexually abused by Baylor a hundred feet away. And do you know how Baylor was, how he left the Christian Brothers and came back to Ireland? Um, well, you know, he he was there at St Ambrose from the late sixties. Yeah. Uh, into, certainly into the the early seventies, seventy two, seventy three. So your information kind of tallies up with mine. Um, I've got records of him in various schools around the northwest of England. I've got records of him operating in Edinburgh, in Leeds, in Yorkshire, in Stoke, in Gibraltar on the Channel Islands, and uh, and obviously in Ireland as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I'm going to be telling you anything that you don't know already, Joe, but the the Christian brothers aren't crazy about giving out information. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> the fact that he was, I knew that he died in 92 in a care home in Dublin. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, have to, I have to tell you that I didn't know that he had been, you know, the, the, the robes of the Christian Brotherhood had been and taken off him. But does that, that matter if you're still abusing boys, whether you've got a robe on or not? He died on the 9th of the 2nd, 1990, um, at an address in Orwell Road in Dublin. Now, we're st- we are still trying... Well, there's a number of questions we're looking at answers for. One, how come the, the Christian Brothers have now told us that us that he left... He left in the early 1970s. He left the Christian Brothers after allegations of abuse in Altrincham emerged. Um, was this decision to leave the Christian Brothers his own or was it removed? Maybe you can help us uh, interrogate this language. This is the answer, David. He said the answer from the Christian Brothers is he was dispensed from his vows in 1972. I presume that's fairly unusual to be dispensed from his vows rather than requested to be dispensed from your vows. And then he, go, yeah, he it's goes... Yeah, nice, there's a nice euphemism in that, yeah. And he goes, straight, he goes straight in to a school in Dublin. Now, did the, would the, now the Christian brothers, I'm sure, would say, well, we had no idea where he was going to go. But surely if he walks into a school, and he was a qualified teacher, obviously, because that's the training you get as well, Surely the school would say, where did you work before, Edward? And, you would think so, yeah. And they say, can we see your references? And the Christian brothers are adamant we did not give him any references. And yet yeah. he went on to commit heinous crimes against, more, sorry, more heinous crimes against um, very young young children. You, you say in, in England he was abusing and raping seven-year-olds. Yes, the prep school, the youngest lads in the prep school was, was seven. So the, the, the victims uh, I interviewed and Bay- were seven, eight and nine. Yeah, and Baylor was in Willow Park, which is a, 
a young uh, a primary school in Ireland, as we call it. Say, say with us, David, because you've done incredible work. And the other thing I think was incredibly admirable from your book is that you were a victim of this man, um, Alan Morris, and you were determined to bring him to justice. But one of the things you had to do to get it to court was you had to resile yourself almost from, not almost, from, from uh, giving evidence as a victim because therefore you couldn't pursue the case with other victims, help them come forward. So you, beca- you basically became a journalist, which I know is your trade now, but that's, you became a journalist. You, you, you said, no, I don't want my... Um, my list of abuse listed per se, there was enough anyway of others. And that means I can report on this case and tell tell others what happened, which I think was extraordinarily uh, admirable. And it was one of the main reasons that, that this this man is in prison at the moment. Now, Bobby Balla contacted us. Robert Balla is a well-known uh, Irish artist and indeed campaigner. Uh, Bobby, you, you went to Black Rock. I did indeed, yeah. Yeah, a long time ago, Joe. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> but tell us, what was the atmosphere like? Well, um, uh, I left in 1961, so essentially okay. I was there in the 1950s, towards the end of the 1950s. Um, uh, mercifully, I was never uh, abused, thankfully, okay. other <laughs> with the, the cane and leathers mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, no, uh, no sexual abuse, thankfully. But uh, I was aware, uh, and I think most of us were aware, of this kind of thing going on. Probably uh, I and others were spared this uh, mm-hmm. because we were dating, uh, which meant we came in and went, yeah. we went out. The boarders were uh, obviously uh, uh, trapped in the place and could mm-hmm. be uh, preyed upon by these absolutely awful people. But uh, I do remember, uh, you know, we, we would know about certain uh, priests and their uh, their predilections uh, i mean you you would be told uh, don't uh, don't ever get uh, caught alone with that fellow uh, mm. in, in any room or whatever and i remember uh, certainly when i went there first uh, when i was very small i played rugby for a few years and there was a particular priest we were warned about who used to ref matches and if you got a mm-hmm. kick or anything not to go down on the ground because he'd be over in a flash and would uh, be uh, examining you okay. uh, carefully yeah. <laughs> but you say you say i was keenly aware of the toxic this is your letter to it was a toxic cultural climate that existed in the place and that concern has remained with me to this day. So, uh, uh, were you surprised when you heard the numerous callers over the last two weeks um, who were abused when they were in Blackrock, other schools as well, St. Michael's as well, and um, were, were you surprised, Bobby? Not, a, not at all, not at all, because not only, uh, you know, was did I have knowledge of this, uh, uh, but I've, you know, when I left school, I had friends that went to Castleknock, that went to uh, Belvedere, went to mm-hmm. many of the other fee-paying schools, and they all had similar stories. Uh, this is a, a stain on our society, and it's a disgrace that we allowed it to happen. And, and why, we, uh, why did it stay buried for so long, Bobby, especially in the fee-paying schools? Is it got to do with the... Be, because you know you're forced on the list 
um, I don't think it was in your case. You're forced on, you, you get into these fee-paying schools automatically if your father went. You get in if a sibling, you're a boy, of course, a boy. Uh, you, you get in if your brother went. Uh, your son will get in once you were there, and it goes on. It's an intergenerational uh, connectivity, which doesn't exist yeah, in other but, schools. Well, it didn't exist case because I'm an only child so yeah. there were no people before me and my father was a Protestant so he didn't go there. But I'm trying but, to find uh, I'm trying to ask why do you think it remained a secret for so long? Like people have talked about I'm a rock boy people yeah. have, these are these are men under well, 60s. That, that raises I think another issue which is very important and I don't think anyone has, has raised it so far and that is that uh, sports in that school inculcated with a sense of privilege that you were special people, that you were different people. It fostered a sense of class prejudice. I mean, I remember being told frequently that we would become the leaders of this society. Uh, and also, uh, we were told uh, quite clearly that we were not mm-hmm. we're, uh, Christian boys. And one phrase used by the president once was, uh, they, they were... Uh, cures of wood and drawers of water. Uh, and this was the kind of attitude that, mm-hmm. that prevailed, that uh, created a, a false sense of camaraderie, that we were special people and uh, we wouldn't let the school down or anything. So I think, that, you know, that's the wider question. You know, these three different schools that, uh, uh, you know, see themselves apart from... Uh, mm-hmm. The rest of society. Yeah, but there's so. But for every example, Bobby of like, there's there's so many. I'm sure it's ninety nine percent of people who came out of Black Rock are decent people and uh, active as part of society. And I know anyway. Oh, uh, oh uh, no! Uh, well, I mean, one of the things that amused me when I was a kid was that uh, I used to listen to these talks from uh, okay. priests uh, about we were the future of Irish society and I used to look around some of my friends and and say to myself my god I wouldn't send them for the messages never mind running the country okay, okay. but but he was right <laughs> you know yeah, check okay. the list and I didn't I, became... I, I'll come back to you after the break but I didn't know either that um, Eamon de Valera was a member of the Holy Ghost Order he was an honorary member insofar as a married man can be but they, they inducted him. I think it was John Charles McQuaid who did it, his his uh, contemporary. Um, they inducted Eamon de Valera, subsequently president, Taoiseach and subsequently president of our number of terms. They inducted him into the Holy Ghost Order. And he was. I know he was buried in Franciscan, in a Franciscan shroud because I think he was inducted into that order as well. Um, but I know you want to talk about John Charles McQuaid and we'll do so after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. I'm talking to David Nolan, who's a journalist and an author, but also a survivor of uh, abuse uh, when he was in school. And he's uh, talking to us about this man, uh, Edward Baylor, who was thrown out of the Christian Brothers and walked into the Holy Ghost Fathers. And um, Bobby Bala has contacted us and he, he's talking about the toxic culture uh, that existed in Blackrock uh, College. And I'll go back to 
to Robert Bala uh, momentarily. Uh, Tom, good afternoon. Joe, yes. You were you worked with religious, as you say, all your life, Christian brothers. Yeah, well, no, they weren't all Christian brothers. Okay. Uh, all my teaching life was uh, in the religious uh, schools. There were CBS. There was a stint in Africa, and there was also okay. uh, the pri- private voluntary sector, if you like to call it that. And you say two two sets of collateral victims also exist in your email to us. The good religious and the lay staff have made up the bulk of the teachers. Uh, yeah. The good religious and the lay staff who made up the bulk mm. of the teachers. I'm in the latter cohort. How would you see, mm. uh, just describe what you mean by a collateral victim, Tom? Well, being a lay teacher in, in the system, um, it was very, very difficult to talk out or to speak up if you did see any abuse or you were aware of any abuse. And we have to accept, like listening to Robert Fallick and people like that, you know, he hits the nail on the head. The, the abuse was endemic in the system mm-hmm. and, and was uh, right throughout the system. Maybe still is, I wouldn't have a clue, but we have to accept that it was endemic in the system and leave it just like that. And mm-hmm. I'd like to sort of, I just wanted to bring a few, a few threads together. As, as a lay teacher, you couldn't do an awful lot because you were in a precarious position enough. And I just wanted to find out, I suppose, two, two things. The religious schools pay the portion of the teacher's salary. That's the first thing. Okay. It small, was a very, a a very, very small amount. Yeah, yeah extreme, extremely small. I think it was £400 a year at the time. Okay. But it must have given them a little bit of leeway. I don't know in what sense, mm-hmm. but it did give them a certain amount of leeway as regards hiring and firing. Now, I was treated extremely well by the schools and uh, teachers generally well. But in a way, uh, it was very, very difficult to, to uh, talk out. Uh, and say anything about it. And the other uh, point that I wanted to make was that uh, the there is a body out there called the JNB, which is the Joint Managerial Board, mm. and they represent uh, the, the what they call the voluntary religious sector, right? And I wanted to go on. I suppose really, I'm. It's hard to listen to it all again and again, over and over again. I'm just wondering yeah. as as. A lay teacher, are we going to be hearing it forevermore? But anyway, here's the point. Okay. I wanted to go on to talk about uh, the potential inquiry and get that over with. And it would be great if they brought in the JNB. The JNB represent all the stakeholders mm-hmm. uh, in the voluntary private sector, right? And instead of dealing with the, the Spiritans and the Jesuits and all the rest of it, we'll be at this show until doomsday. There's no doubt about it. So why not bring in the JMB to represent stakeholders? Let it be a big inquiry, as big as you like, but let, let's get it over and done with. Yeah, right? but you see, but Tom, there was, like I came across this at the weekend, there was a safeguarding review done, an audit done in 2012, exactly 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. they and they did. They, they there's a table you can look up every single, uh, every single. Well, yeah, every single order in the country: the Spiritans, the mm-hmm. Carmelite Friars, the Jesuits, the Ascensions, mm-hmm. the Salesians, mm-hmm. Dom, Dominican Sisters, Friars, Maris Brothers, Fathers, Sister Mary Presentation, Sister Saint Louis, um, Salesians. Okay, mm-hmm. and yes, they yes. they list the number of complainants. Okay, the number of persons against whom allegations made, the number Mm. alive at the time of review, 
Okay. Mm. For example, mm. the, the CBS at the time of review, 50 of them were still alive. There was 870 mm. complainants against the Christian Brothers and 325 mm. uh, number of persons against whom allegations were made was came mm. to 385. The total number of, uh, in other words, members of religious orders at that time in this audit was uh, 657. It's, an, it's yeah. an astonishing figure. And by the way, that audit made recommendations. They made recommendations, and one of the, one of the recommendations, uh, I'll read it to you, was consideration should be given to setting up a series of listening meetings for victims and their families. In other words, they were told 10 years ago, including the Holy Ghost, to put in motion something that might today be considered an equivalent of what the Holy Ghost are describing as they're labelling it restorative justice. Restorative, yeah. But they didn't yeah, do yeah. it. They were told to do it 10 years ago, and they didn't do it. And now the numbers have increased dramatically in terms of... That, so, so yeah. like, if they were told to do it 10 years ago, they're not going to do it now. And they didn't know, do it. I know. Hmm. Do you, and Tom, just briefly, in the school where you were a lay teacher, which was run hmm. by a religious order... Were you were you somehow were you down the pecking order in terms of being able to complain? I wouldn't have been down the pecking order, and I certainly wasn't shy either. Uh, yeah. You know about about it, but it was it was the way the system was. I suppose it was extremely difficult to to put your head up there and put your head above above the parapet or whatever, yeah, yeah. and and it, it wasn't easy, but. What uh, you're saying there about, you know, the, if you bring in a body like the JNB, it's got to be tackled in a different way. And once and for all, this time, really. And like, I hear calls, you know, and, and I would say, uh, you know, the orders themselves need to, I've heard it put this way, I suppose, liquidate, uh, compensate, uh, and then maybe cease their own involvement. I think they shouldn't be next line or near education going forward. I really, really don't don't think there's any role okay, for it. Well, that's interesting from somebody but, who worked with them, yeah. Yeah, well, and having said that, you know, there was a lot of good work done. Of course, I know. And as the Taoiseach at the time said, when Pope Francis visited Ireland in 2016, um, he said that without the work of the religions, our health service and our education service would have been a lot lesser, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing. OK, stay, stay with us, Tom. I'll be back to you and Bobby Bada and David after this break. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Well, that review I was referring to, you'll find it on the website, the National Board for Safeguarding Children in the Catholic Church in Ireland. Uh, you can read an awful lot, but what you're reading is stuff you're hearing again now, what you're reading about, well, there's more and more are coming to light now, but it was it was written uh, 10 years ago. David Nolan, I know you were unusual in that you're the, the abuser actually was sent to prison. Now, that's not, well, we don't know, we, we can't talk about it. There's a couple of outstanding cases, but the vast majority of abusers are deceased in Ireland and the what the religious, what the Holy Ghost are offering is a a meeting, they're calling it restorative, restorative justice, um, where they, where the current leadership of the order, the order and the school sit in front of you and you tell them what happened and they apologise. Well, supersonic, fantastic. I, I just listened listen to what Tom was saying there before, and I was getting very, very 
annoyed about it. There's this awful pious rubbish floating across the airwaves there. I'm sorry that it was very difficult for him to stick his head above the parapet. I'll tell you what's very difficult is if you're a seven-year-old child being sexually abused by a teacher. That's really difficult. And the teachers, be they Christian brothers or lay teachers, had one job. One job. And that's to look after the children. And they didn't do it. Well, we know so how devious. Well, we know how devious these paedophiles are. These abusers are. Uh, the the, these, this has been going on in, in St Ambrose. This was going on for nearly twenty years. Okay, and likewise in Blackrock. Okay, yeah. that's this, this, this devious, and this turning a blind eye. There was kids in other schools in Altrincham who knew about these abusers. Yet the people, the teachers who worked alongside them day in, day out, mm. knew nothing. Or if they did know, know nothing, they wouldn't, to put Tom's expression back to him, put their head above the parapet. Shame on you. Yeah, but we're Shame on you. Yeah, but David, now what Tom was talking about, Tom, come in here, please. What Tom was talking about was, was physical abuse, wasn't it, Tom? You didn't, you didn't see anything else. Well, Joe, I, I can't apologise uh, to David yeah. for not lose, losing my job, if I could put it that way. Okay. Because, y y you know, I mean, when I say put my head above the parish, but uh, the ultimate uh, of that would have been that I could have lost my job. Um, I didn't Good. particularly Good. feel like... You deserve to lose your job. No, we don't... Well, I, I don't... No, no, no in fairness, job. David, you don't know. No, 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 you don't know, Tom. Please don't say that. But uh, I, I can understand no, you, your you anger. Deserve, but but if it's you're not, not willing don't, to, yeah, but don't direct it, it against Tom, please. He's been very courageous. If you're a teacher and, and you're not prepared us. to stick oh, okay. up, if you if you're a teacher and you're not prepared to stick up for children and protect children, then you don't deserve to be a teacher. So what do you David, think, David? David, okay, David Tom, I, yes. I was I was actually a very good teacher. And yeah, I understand. That. I just didn't no feel doubt. I could go. I could go that far. That's all. Okay. And David, what do you think about the Holy Ghost order? What did you say? Supersonic, what they're offering now, which is they're calling it, they're calling it restorative justice. Um, well, I mean, you can call it what you like. Um, it doesn't alter the fact. What would be, you know, restorative justice would be better is if people didn't turn a blind eye. Yeah. That would be better. If people did something at the time and showed a bit of gumption, uh, that would be better. If people didn't uh, put their own you know, well, the youth, their own situation well, the above that of a child. That would be better. In the UK, there is 11 cases against uh, Baylor. OK, so there is uh, 11 uh, criminal charges that are against Baylor because under the UK system, mm -hmm. it's called the Home Office Counting Rules. Basically, it is logged as a crime. So there's 11 crimes against children logged in Britain. Um, directly from the Altrincham case. There may well be others coming up. Um, but, but, the, but the point yeah. is that the Altrincham case against Baylor took the, that list took, was there pre was predated his arrival in the, in Blackrock College. And how come they didn't know about it? Because his his, yeah. his employer did, his previous employer Absolutely. did, and he moved to another. Uh, another uh, teaching religious institution, and it seems no one bothered to ask him, what are you doing here? Well, 
I'll give you an example. Alan Morris, who was the guy who yeah, got nine yeah. years for the abuse at St. Ambrose, um, he left in the early 90s and he was made a deacon at a in church the, called the Holy Angels. In the Catholic which church, is yeah. next. Which, no, no the, the church is in the school grounds. Okay. Okay. So but they knew that there'd been complaints of going against him for twenty years, and they let him go to the church okay. um, in the school grounds. Okay. And I asked all the same questions of the Catholic Church you asked, and I got nothing. Okay. Well, well, I, we'll talk again, and as we will to Bobby, but I'm over time, unfortunately. Tell the truth and shame the devil is that powerful book by David Nolan. You can get it on Amazon or Apple or Kindle this afternoon. It's strongly, it's highly recommended for for Tom's uh, or David's uh, tenacity. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, uh, Bobby Balla. Thanks to all our other callers. Shannon Gorm, producer Ray Darcy, next. 0818-715-815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie.